morning. We are on the second half of chapter 2, Galatians chapter 2, as we continue the series, uh, Jesus plus nothing uh, equals everything. We'll be in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 to to 21. And here's the, the, the recap of what's happening in these last couple of weeks. We know that Paul is writing to the church, the churches in Galatia. There are some newly converted Christians in Galatia that are being misled by Jewish teachers about what it really means to be justified in Christ, what it really means to be saved. What, how, what is a follower of, of God? What does that in, entail? And uh, they're being told that it involves circumcision, it involves uh, following strict obedience to the law and traditions of the Jewish, of the Jewish tradition. And Paul is preaching uh, about justification through faith in Christ alone. And you'll, you'll hear the word justification all through Paul's writings. And, and basically what this, this means, it's, it's taking a person from the state of sin to the state of righteousness. And what, what does that mean? What, what goes, goes into, into that? Now, there are some, there are some arguments that are happening against, against Paul, some debates, and, and, and uh, two that, 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 that I'm going to address today. One is, if justification is through faith in Christ alone, what keeps somebody from indulging in their sinful desires? What, what keeps them from, from uh, sinning, knowing that they can just fall back on grace uh, and, and faith in Christ. And Pastor Bruce addressed this a couple of times last week and the week before that if you're truly transformed by the gospel, you're not looking for ways to undermine grace. You're not looking for ways to, uh, to find loopholes or a get out of jail free card, if you will. Uh, actually, what, what grace does, it, it, pro- it propels us to holiness, it, it, it leads us to a place of devotion. And so that is Paul's, Paul's argument. The, the other thing is, the argument against Paul is if grace, again, is, if justification is through faith in Jesus alone, well, doesn't that undermine the law? And Paul addresses the, these, these uh, debates and these arguments by, by saying this. We know that, that it will not undermine the law because Jesus comes and he fulfills the law. And he poses a question, what was the original intent for the law? If, if you are sick and, and you have symptoms, you're going to the doctor, and if the doctor cannot find something visibly wrong with you, uh, he would sometimes order an MRI. And you will go into an MRI machine, and it will be the most 10 uncomfortable minutes of your life. Um, and, and what that MRI machine will do, it, it will scan you, and it will diagnose what's hidden. It will reveal something that is wrong with you. And no matter how many times you go through an MRI machine, it can only diagnose you. It can never cure you. In the same way, the law's original intent was never to be the cure, but rather the law's original intent was to be a diagnostic tool to expose sin and expose our need for a redeemer, expose our need for a rescuer. If If you think about it, Moses comes down from Mount Sinai. He's holding the Ten Commandments. And as he's reading these Ten Commandments, he's saying, Thou shalt not uh, have any other gods before me. Honor your father and mother. Do not, covet, uh, do not covet. Do not murder. And as he's reading this, the Israelites' eyes, the glass is shattering because they're realizing that they really fall short of the expectations of God. 
they just had just built a golden calf to, to praise them, and they're realizing, we can't do that. We, we, this, is, this is wrong. It exposes our need for a redeemer. What we have, what's important to, to understand and remember is that the, the Jewish code, the Jews believed that they were God's chosen people. And being God's chosen people, they were brought into covenant with God. But the only way to keep in covenant with God was to have strict obedience to the law. They had to follow it completely in order to be justified before the eyes of God. And here comes Paul, and he says, there is no possible way that you can live up to the demands of the law. Believe me, take it from me, you will fold under the pressure of the law. You need Jesus. You need justification through faith and faith alone. And this is where we get to Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. And let's read that together today. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Every time you see Cephas, let's just substitute that for Peter right off the bat. He's talking about Peter here. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before, but when he, uh, before, but before certain men came to James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too put our, have to put our faith in, in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners. Doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I would, really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. When, when I struggle with insomnia, one of my go-to things is I go on YouTube. And uh, the thing I love to watch is top 10 plays of the, of the day in sports. Well, top 10 plays leads to top 10 plays of the year and the decade. And then three hours later, it's three in the morning and the, the night's gone. Uh, but one of, the, one of the things that I land on that I always watch is top 10 ejections in baseball. I, I love watching ejection videos. I have issues, <laughs> again, uh, I, there's a problem with me, but I'm in there, I'm in, in bed laughing because these, these managers are getting thrown out, and they, they just act like children. I mean, they're, they're, they're tossing things, and they're uh, throwing the tantrums, and I'm, all, I'm there for it, you know? Three in the morning, I'm just, I'm laughing. 
a couple a couple months ago, uh, my wife and I we we went to a, a Royals game in Kansas City, and sure enough, this happens. A bad call happens. The manager just sprints out to the field, and he's getting into the face of, of the umpire. And this is what I this is what I wanted. This is what I paid the money for. Like it's not it's not against my team. So what do I care? Like go 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 at it. And uh, and so they're yelling. And I look over, and my wife is just, like, curled up in a ball, like, like tuck, hands tucked in her chest. And she's like, why is this happening? Like, she cannot take the confrontation. I'm like, no, honey, look, at, look this is why we're here. Like, this is, this is, this is what it's worth everything. And uh, the manager gets thrown out, and, uh, and, I, and th- th- that was my, my night. My night was made. Uh, I got to see that, you know. It's, it's fun. Uh, I do not understand hockey. But I love that you can just fight in hockey. Like, like they, they'll just stop everything and let these two guys just have at it for a couple of seconds. And, and, and then they just, like, spit them up. I'm like, who made these rules? Like, <laughs> how can you do this? Well, not, this is not hockey rules, but there is a confrontation that happens in, in, uh, in, the, in Galatians chapter 2. Paul says that he opposes Peter to his face because, quite frankly, Peter makes a bad call. He, he, he makes a, an awful call, and for the integrity of the gospel, uh, Paul has to, has to call him on it. See, the, see what, what's happened is that Peter had been eating with the Gentiles like the new gospel has, has, has told him, has taught, and, and he has accepted it. And, and he, is, he is now eating with Gentiles and and. And what happens is some Judaizers come to Antioch, and because of fear and pressure, uh, Peter rejects the Gentiles, rejects eating with them, and starts eating again strictly with Jews. Now, Peter knows better. Uh, We can go back to Acts chapter 10, and there's this story about Peter and a man named Cornelius where uh, Peter gets a vision from, from God that basically says, do not call anything that I have, do not call anything unclean that I have made clean. And for lack of, uh, just for long story short, it doesn't matter what you eat, doesn't matter what you drink, uh, all are welcome at the table of Christ. Every, the, the gospel salvation is for Jew, Gentile, slave free. It, it crosses all boundaries, it crosses all borders, and is an inclusive gospel. And Peter accepts this. He, 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 it's a vision from God. You can't not, ex, not accept a vision from God. And Peter accepts it and practices this. But because of, of, of fear and pressure, he reverts back to this Jesus plus something type of gospel. And now this is not just petty drama. This is not like table manners. This is not, I'm not going to eat with you today because you're wearing that or something like that. It's not, it's not, it's not petty. Uh, the Jews believed that Gentiles were idolaters. And this matters so much to Paul because Paul is saying this. In Paul's mind, if Jesus really came, if the Messiah really came, everything has to be different. You, you cannot go back to what you used to do if the Messiah came and made all things new. You can't do this. So in, in Paul's mind, Peter by his, Peter's actions, he is essentially saying that Christ didn't come. That, that this is not, this, this is just days of old. We're going to go back to what we used to do at first. And it rejects the price that Christ made. 
and it rejects that Christ made everything new again. And this is the problem. Now, I'm, I'm more than sure that Peter is not, you know, he's not thinking this. After all, he walked with Jesus. He's not, he's not saying this. But his actions said more in that moment, and Paul had to confront him on it. Peter was afraid. He was afraid of criticism. He was afraid of, of uh, he, he, he could not withstand the pressure that was happening by, by people from James, the Judaizers, and he reverts back to this Jesus plus something gospel. And, I, and if the last two years have, have taught us anything, this plays out in our society today. There is, there is and I don't know if you've, you've been familiar with this phrase, but I've heard this phrase, I've seen this phrase more times than I care to, uh, but it's a, if you are truly a Christian, you would, and then fill in the blank, right? Maybe, maybe you've, you've heard that. Uh, the, the, the Jews are practically saying this. If you are a Christ follower, you would be circumcised. If you're really a Christ follower, you would only eat with your kind. If you're really a Christ follower, you would post about this, and you would say this, and you would speak out on this, and there are times to speak out. There are times to, to speak on what matters and for the integrity of the gospel like we see with Paul. But then there are times where people are looking at the body of Christ and seeing how is the body of Christ reacting to the polarization of our time. Are we standing firm on the scriptures? Are we standing firm for the integrity of the gospel? Are, being, are, are we being swayed by the opinions of people? Are we being swayed by the pressures of our society? When, when people look at the church of God, they should see a clear path to the gospel. They should see a clear path to salvation. When people look at the church of God, they should not see man-made obstacles cluttering up the road on the path to salvation. There should be a clear depiction of who Jesus is. There should be a clear depiction of who the goodness of God is. There should be a clear depiction on what it means to be saved. And oftentimes, if we're not careful, we fall into the subtlety, the subtle disobedience of Peter, and we suddenly make preferences and personal convictions not founded in Scripture as gospel, and we distort the integrity of the gospel. And when people look at the church, they see opinions, and they do not see truth in the word of God. They see obstacles that hinder the path to salvation. It reminds me of the language that, that the, the Satan uses in the desert with, with Jesus. If you're really the son of God, you will turn this stone into bread. If you're really the son of God, you would do this. This, this. this is a manipulative language that the enemy uses in the body of Christ to divide the body of Christ. If I, when I look around this, this room, there are, many, there are many backgrounds, many stories. We talked about this last week, that the gift of diversity should never be used as a weapon to divide the church. The gift of diversity, the gift of the, the different stories, different testimonies, different ways that you came to Christ, different opinions of life are represented in this room. Things that do not matter to the, to the gospel, and we group ourselves. We'll sit with them in church, but we won't invite them for dinner at our house. 
We'll sit with them in church, but we, we'll, we'll serve with them, but we, won't, but we won't talk more than five minutes outside of church with them. These are manipulative tactics of the enemy to divide the body of Christ. And in the same way that Peter gave a notion that there are two bodies of Christ, if we are not careful, the enemy will try to convince us that there are different representations of the body of Christ in this room, and there's not. There's one body of Christ. There is, there is, one, there is one body unified for the sake of the gospel that has to be represented when people see us. When people look at Owasso First Assembly, they are seeing the truth of the gospel. They're not seeing obstacles. They're not seeing distractions. They're seeing the, the truth of the goodness of Jesus Christ represented in the people in this room. And we are called to be that. We are called to uphold the integrity of the gospel. The Jesus plus something gospel distracts from the truth of the gospel. It muddies the water and it distorts the truth. The notion that you have to do and say certain things to be labeled anything is a misrepresentation of the gospel. Do not make somebody feel like less that God has made enough. So there's, there's, there's another thing that happens here is that Peter's hypocrisy in this, in this moment, it's infectious. Last week, we, we learned that, uh, that Barnabas made a, was a huge piece, a huge part on the ministry to the Gentiles. And the Bible says here that, that Barnabas, even Barnabas, through the hypocrisy of Peter, was led astray. What we do matters. What we do matters just as much as what we say. The other, the, during a football season, well, the rule in my house is this. You eat at the dinner table. Like, we're going to eat at the dinner table. You, you would think that that's, it's easy because I have kids. But my four-year-old is basically 12, and he'll do whatever he wants if, if, we're not, if I'm not careful. And uh, so we're eating at the dinner table. That is, that is, the, that is the rule. Um, but if it's Sundays at 1 p.m. during football season, uh, and the Cowboys are playing, that, that line gets blurred a little bit. And so I, 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 I get home. And I grab lunch, and I'm going to, to the couch to eat my lunch in front of the TV to watch the game. And um, I hear just this little squeaky voice from the dinner table. Dad, are you not eating at the dinner table? And, and I'm, I'm, I, I'm stuck because <laughs> consistency is important, right? And, and so I said, hey, you've been so good, bud, this week. Why don't you come eat? Why don't you come eat with me, and, and we'll watch the game. He's like, okay. So, like, you know, I maintain my integrity, um, but I really blew it. <laughs> I really blew it. This, this um, do, what I, do what I say and not what I do does not work. It, it does not work. And in the same way here, doing, doing, uh, doing as I say and not as I do does not work when it comes to the gospel. We have, to, we have to do what we say we're going to do. What we do matters. We cannot preach a, a gospel that is filled with truth and consistency and then act a different way. We cannot, we cannot act one way in public and another way in private. There is consistency that must be had when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we do matters. And I believe now in society more than ever, there are eyes on the church like never before. What are we going to do? Again, how are we going to respond 
the one thing that we must never do is throw gasoline on a fire. That, that is not what we're called to do. We're not called to see a fire and throw gasoline on it and make it worse than it already is. We are called to, we're called to be peacemakers. We are called to reconcile people to the gospel. And as people are watching us, hypocrisy does not fit in the body of Christ. There's no room for it. There's no room for do as I say and not as I do. That we must be consistent with the word of God. If we believe a certain way, then we must be consistent in that way. We must be consistent with those convictions that are based on scripture and scripture alone. This is what Peter, Peter was at fault for. He's, yes, I said this. Yes, I do this. But I'm not, I'm not doing what I said. And Paul does not, not going to let that slide. And Paul addresses Peter uh, not so much for his behavior, but he ad- addresses Peter from where it stems from. There's this, it stems from this place of self-righteousness. When you really think about it, it it's, it's if I do this and you don't, I am more noble than you. If, if, if I act this way, if, if I believe this way, if I have this opinion, that means that I have earned my salvation and I am better than you. That is what it's saying. I am more noble than you because I believe this. I'm more noble than you because I said this. And what the gospel of justification tells us is that there is no moral advantage when it comes to justification in Christ alone. There is no moral advantage. The 20-year-old, the 20-year Sunday school teacher needs just as much justification as a newly converted drug addict. Christ levels the playing field when he comes and dies. He makes everything new again. There is no moral advantage. Now, before you go home and say morality doesn't matter, that's not what I'm, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that when it comes to justification, there is no moral advantage. Good works does not earn you justification. There, there is a place for good works, but it comes only after faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus produces good works. Faith in Jesus produces morality. Faith in Jesus pr- pr- produces holiness, but it can never be the other way around. Here's how, here's how I, I, I know this. In the book of Isaiah, there are, there are many scriptures that, that point us to Jesus and point us to this gospel truth. Isaiah 64, all of us have become like one who, who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Isaiah 54, this, this particular chapter, Isaiah is prophesying about the coming Messiah, and he talks about everlasting kindness, and he talks about compassion. And then he says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Even in the Old Testament, we are seeing God gradually reveal this truth to his people that your righteousness is not earned, but your righteousness is from me. I give this righteousness. Romans chapter 4, Paul uses the father of the Jewish faith and says, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about me being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scripture tells us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. This is what I believe that the the, the older brother in the story of the prodigal son could not understand. 
If you remember the, the, the parable of the prodigal son, the younger son squanders his wealth. He squanders his inheritance, and he lives a sinful life, and he goes and indulges in his sin. The older brother stays. The older brother stays. For all we know, the older brother is obedient. He was righteous. He stayed in the house of his father, and he served his father well. Now, when the, product, when the son comes back, the younger son comes back, the father welcomes the younger son as if he had never left. The father welcomes his son, and he even celebrates that his son has returned, and this he could, the, the older brother could not grasp this concept. He couldn't understand because he was the righteous one for, for, for this story. He was the moral one. He was the obedient one. He stayed, and what the other brother, the older brother could not understand is that he was not a son of the father because he earned it or because he was worthy. He was a son of the father because he was simply birthed into the family of his father. He earned the inheritance because he was birthed into that inheritance. In the same way, when it comes to the kingdom of God, we cannot do anything to earn it or deserve it. We are not children of God because we are worthy. We are children of God because we have been birthed into the family of God based on our faith in Jesus Christ, and that's it. That's it. Faith, faith in Jesus. If you want to know what, it, what, it, what I, you need to do to please God, have faith in Jesus. That's what pleases God. Our righteous acts, our righteous deeds are like filthy rags because he gives us our righteousness. We are inherited into the body of Christ because of our faith in Jesus. It is faith in Jesus that produces it. The gospel deprives men and women of all glory to be taken for themselves. And it puts all glory and honor on God as a giver of our righteousness. This is what the gospel does. Galatians chapter 17, let's continue. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves among, also among the sinners. Doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Not at all. But if... But if <clears throat> but if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a, a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I may live for God. In other words, if someone who knows they are justified by faith sins, is it because justification by faith in Christ promotes sin? No. But if someone who professes faith in Christ keeps on with the same sinful lifestyle, rebuilding the sinfulness that Christ died to destroy the penalty of, then it, pro it proves that this person never really grasped the gospel. And again, we are seeing this concept, we're seeing this truth in all these first two passages, two chapters in Galatians, that if you truly understand the gospel, if you truly understand the gospel, it does not produce this willingness to find loopholes in the, in, with the concept and the, the theology of grace, but rather it promotes holiness. You know your spouse. Your spouse, my spouse loves me. My spouse cooks, an amazing cook, if that's a standard for anything. But she's an amazing cook. That's not why I married her, but it's an amazing cook. Um, way better than me. She loves me. She, she, she does everything for me. She brought me a watch because I had the wrong color on this morning. Like, who does that? My wife does that. And... Uh, when she, she, she puts my kids to bed, she takes them a bath because I hate bath time. Like, I can't do it. I can't, I can't take it. Like, like, I can't do the same thing over and over again to come out, dry them, come, go back in. And then it, it's chaos. I cannot do that. My wife does that. 
when I see her do that, well, my natural thought is not, you know what, how can I, like, leave and uh, go hang out with the guys? Or uh, I see her do that, and I'm not saying, uh, how can I go and uh, maybe just, like, she can stay here. I'm just going to go and do my own thing for a little bit. That would be insane. First of all, I can never come back home. <laughs> like, like, I'd be, I'd be I, 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 that's it. It would be the end of it. No. But our natural desire when we experience the love and the goodness of the gospel is not to find ways to spit in the face of Jesus. That's not, that's not what we do. When we are truly transformed by the gospel, it ushers us into holiness. It ushers, ushers into a place of devotion. All I want to do is serve. All I want to do is love. All I want to do is obey because I've truly understood what it meant for Jesus to take my place. This is what, the, this is what Paul is saying the gospel does not promote sin. But if I rebuild, if I rebuild through the law that Christ came to die for, then I am a law breaker. Then verse 20. This is more than a coffee mug. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. As I said before, there are many, many backgrounds and many stories in this room this morning. I was saved when I was about 19 years old. And so if, if what I know about the tactics and the work of the enemy is that the work of the enemy not only tries to uh, condemn, condemn us through struggles with sin and temptation, what the enemy would try to condemn us, condemn us with memories. And maybe, maybe you know what I'm talking about. Memories of a life before Jesus. When I go back to my hometown in Texas, I can drive through the neighborhoods and I can passed by the schools where, uh, I, where I lived before I knew Jesus. I, know, I knew what happened in this spot. I knew what happened in this spot. I could tell you what happened in, in that school. I can tell you what happened in that house. I can, tell, I can tell you everything. And it's not because I want to remember these things. Uh, I can tell you this because... I know for a fact that the enemy is trying to condemn me through memories of a life before Jesus. And what Paul is saying in this passage here, he's saying that you have been crucified with Christ. It's not you that lives anymore. It's your, your old life is dead. There's, there's no need to bring it back up because it was nailed to the cross as if though you died this is what the truth of the gospel is, that when Jesus died, we are free from condemnation before God as if I had already died and been judged and as if I had paid the debt myself. And I am loved by God as if I had lived the life that Christ lived. So it is not me that lives, but Christ. It's a powerful reminder that though we ourselves are sinners, in Christ we are righteous. How do we set aside grace? How do we set aside, how do we nullify the gift of grace? One, by pretending we do not need it. 
by living a life trying to overcompensate for our past life. If we're not careful, we can see our sin and we can say, how can I overcompensate for this sin? What can I do, God? How, what can I do, Lord, to, to be made right in your eyes again? The gospel commands, we are essentially saying, I can try to set myself free. I can try to save myself free. I can try to save myself. And this is how I nullify the grace of God in my life is by pretending I do not need grace and that I can earn it myself. And this is why we go through sin cycles sometimes and that you can go 30 days without being tempted. You can go 60 days without sinning. And then once you fall short of the glory of God, you fall hard because you think that the longer you go without sinning, that makes you more right in God's eyes. And that's not how it works. What pleases God is your faith in Jesus. And knowing that I, have, I do not set aside the grace of God because if I do that the, the, the penalty that Christ paid was for nothing. That is what Paul is saying here. If your house is burning and you and get your family out and then I see you outside and I say, you know what, I, I'm going to show you how much I love you. And I go into an empty burning house and I die. First of all, you're going to say, look at this idiot. Why did he do that? But if, there, if you have a child inside and I say, look how much I love you, and I go in and I save your child, and then I die, you say, what a sacrifice that was made for me. What a sacrifice that was made for me. Jesus died for something. Jesus died for, for us so we can live in freedom, to live by faith in Jesus who gave himself for you. Christ's death means something to me. For those who are forgiven much, love. Snuck into the main service of, of, of church when I was supposed to be. Snuck into the main service of, of, of church when I was supposed to be in the kids area. And, uh, and I, 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 uh, I, had, I had snuck in and I was sitting in the back of this small church in Texas. There's about 50 people here. And I, and I heard this story. And I heard this phrase in this story that I have in my office on this, this little sheet of paper that's on my bookshelf. And the story takes place in the summer of 1857 in Savannah, Georgia. And it's at the height of the most evilest uh, era in our, in, our, in our nation's history. It's the era, the era of slavery. And what, what, what happens and what, what, what this, how the story goes is that this man has just walked upon this slave auction that is happening. And as he gets closer to this slave auction, he is realizing that, that there are these men and women and children who are being auctioned off, and um, he's hearing this, this bidding that's going on. And, and uh, as he gets closer, he begins to hear all the vile things that these slave owners are, are yelling at these slaves. And... As he gets closer, he, he comes, there comes down to this one woman. This one woman is left on this auction block, and this man begins to bid on this woman. And the, and, the, and the bidding gets higher and higher, and now it's just this one man, 
and this other slave owner that are bidding on this one woman. And this man outbids the slave owner, this slave owner <clears throat> and the auctioneer grabs the woman, gives them to this man, and this man is walking down the street with this woman, and this woman is just crying and, and bawling her eyes out. And every once in a while, she would rip her hand from his hand, and she would say, I hate you. I hate you for what you're doing to me. I hate you for what you're doing to me. And, she, and he would grab her hand back, and he would walk her down the street. And again, she'd shove her hand, her hand out of his hand, and she'd push him and, and say, I hate you for what you're doing to me. And once again, the man would grab her hand, and they would walk down until they finally walked into this building. And he, and he tells this, this woman, I want you to wait by these stairs while I go into this, this building. And she's there at these stairs sitting, and she's, she's crying. And the man goes in. And he comes out, and he has a paper in his hands, and he gives her this paper, and she reads this paper, and she crumbles it up, and she throws it in his face, and she says, I hate you. I hate you for what you're doing to me. The man very patiently un unfolds this, this, this letter and, and, and tells her, read this letter. She finally gets her composure just for a few brief minutes. She reads the paper, and she realizes that this, this, this man has just purchased her freedom papers she thinks it's a lie and she crumbles it up and she throws it in his face and she says i hate you for playing this trick on me i hate you and again the man composed himself and composed her and says this is not a joke he uncrumbles the paper gives it to her and she takes time to look at this paper and she realizes that this really is her freedom papers this man has just purchased her freedom and, and she looks at him and she says why would you do this why would you do this for me and and he says you you are free go do whatever you want. I don't, I don't, want, I don't need you. You don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to be with me. And, and realizing that this is a true statement, that this is an authentic letter, she looks at the man and begins to weep. She falls on her knees. And this is the, 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 the quote that I have on my, on my bookshelf. She looks at him and, and she says this. She says, you bought me to free me, but now all I want to do is serve you. You bought me to free me, but now all I want to do is serve you. When we look at what our response to the gospel, for me, that sums it up in one sentence. I do not set aside the grace of God because Christ's death means something to me. Because he bought me to free me, and now all I want to do is serve him. Now all I want to do is devote my life to him. I don't know what that looks like. Maybe you don't know what that looks like for your life. Well, all I know is, Lord, here I am, send me. Whatever you want to do, use me. Because I understand what the gospel means. I understand that I am justified not because I've earned it, not because I'm righteous on my own, but because Jesus came to pay the price for my sin. He bought me, and now I'm free to live the life that I want to. And now all I want to do with that is give it back to him. Now all I want to do with this life is give it back to him. Would you stand with me this morning? What do we do with the freedom that we've been given? We devote our lives to the one who set us free. That is a simple reminder of the gospel. This weekend, we are celebrating our Independence Day. We are celebrating the freedom that we have found in this country. But more important, how fitting is it that we, in Galatians chapter 2, learn this truth, this simple truth, that we are free because of Jesus we are justified by faith in him alone. 
How do you please God? Faith in Jesus. There's nothing you can do. Accept it. I, I go back to the prodigal son again. Now let's, let's switch over to the younger son. If you remember this, this story, the younger son is, is writing his speech. And he's saying, Father, I've sinned against you. Just, just let, me, let me be a servant. Let me, go, let me just be one of your servants. I'll be fine with that. He is practicing his speech to go to his father and say, look, I have not earned your grace in my, in my life. Just, just give me any job. I'm happy. And he, and, and he goes and prepares a speech that he does not need. Because what does the Bible say? That the, the father runs to the son. And he says, let us celebrate because the son that was lost is now found. We do not need to have eloquent speeches before God. We do not need to practice this speech of how worthy we are or how we're going to make it up to him. We don't have to do that because our righteousness is given by Jesus and Jesus alone. That is where we find our righteousness. Do not listen to the voice of the enemy that would try to condemn us and try to tell us, how are you going to make up for the gift of salvation? How are you going to make up for the gift of grace? If we're not careful, we slide back into the Jesus plus something gospel, and that is a distorted truth of the gospel. It is Jesus plus nothing that saves. It is Jesus plus nothing that is a revelation of the gospel. That is the truth of the gospel of salvation. Jesus plus nothing is everything. So I want to invite our prayer team to come, come forward. I want, to, I want to ask, if you need prayer this morning, there are a couple of things that we can pray for this morning. One, do you need to be free from the pressure to perform, the pressure to overcompensate? Do you, are you struggling to live in the freedom that Christ died for? We want to pray for you. Number two, do you want to echo the words of Isaiah? Here I am, Lord, send me. How can I devote myself to you. Give me direction, Lord. We want to pray for you this morning. Maybe you don't know what that looks like for your life. You don't know how you're going to respond. But then the response today is devotion, and Lord, give me direction. Here I am. Send me. Let's pray this morning. Father, we love you. Lord, as we worship you, God, we know, Lord, that our righteousness is from you. God, we know that everything we are can only be justified through faith in you. So today, God, we, we ask, God, for, for clarity of the gospel where we may have lost it. God, we ask for clarity of the truth of your word. Lord, we do not need to earn it. We do not deserve it. But we thank you for the gift of grace this morning. And we respond with devotion. We respond with worship. We respond, God, knowing that you paid the price, that you bought us to free us. And now all we want to do is serve you. We give you these moments in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together.